Hey everybody, welcome to episode 14 of the podcast series. Today I'm speaking with the two uh, sisters behind Alas Media in San Fernando in the yeah, in San Fernando in the San Fernando Valley outside of Los Angeles. It was a really so they're a small production company that um, just is really devoted to the city and being a part of the community and supporting youth and different ter- different sorts of um, film projects. So it was just really great talking to them. Uh, a lot of our beginning of our conversation began with like us recounting stories of our funny Mexican fathers, including their father who refers to himself or gets referred to as the Mexican MacGyver. It's super funny, and um, yeah, we talk about technology, Final Cut X, why people don't like Final Cut X, Final Cut Pro X, and um, it's a really good conversation with really great people. All right. Have a great day. Bye. All right. So, Liz, uh, you talk really fast. We've covered that. Yeah, slow it down. (laughs) Thanks, Liz. So, we're going to, we should probably talk about Final Cut for people that have been thinking about Tana yeah, eventually. Yeah, totally tap Let's, into that. We'll get into that in a bit. Yeah. You can edit it all up anyway, right? Like What? You edit the kind of podcast as no. well? No. There's no Straight editing. Raw? Yeah. It's raw. This is, this is going to be how it goes. Okay. Yeah. I think it's better just to leave, leave it unedited. Also, it's easier for me to produce it. And it, it just, it always leads to funnier openings. That's true. Because it's like a mumbly beginning and nobody knows what's going on. And they don't realize, people don't realize they're being recorded. So... We normally know because we know the red lights. Yeah, you know, the, you know, you know, you know the trade secrets. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Um, so where? So say your names if you if you if you will. And where are we? So I'm Elizabeth Rubalcaba. You have to say that slower. Oh, I'm Elizabeth Rubalcaba. Okay. And I'm Rosa Rubalcaba. Okay. And we are in the city of San Fernando, at our studio, Alas Media. Uh, this is pretty much home away from home for us. So we do a lot of our mainly a post production here. But, I mean, this is home, born, raised, um, mom and dad live, like, down the street, two blocks oh, from here. Do you go get lunch and, with them? Yeah. Aww, Are you kidding nice. me? Mom's homemade meals? <laughs> you know, Every once in a while, we'll stop by uh, and see them. And, yeah, we grew up at high school, literally four or five blocks down the street. Yeah. Uh, so, when we started the company, we knew we wanted to be ideally in the city of San Fernando or at in the least community. within, you know, close radius of the community. Yeah. So... Yeah, I, um, it's, I, my mom was a terrible cook, so I never, I don't really like what? think about going to you know visit her when she was around. She was really, really bad. Oh, was, see, we're lucky. My mom and dad cook. Oh, and shoot. dad bakes. My dad bakes really good. What does he bake? Everything from biscottis to traditional like. Where did he learn to make biscottis? My dad likes cookbooks. We're a, we're a very curious family. People like to learn, like you know, brothers. We're a big family. There's seven of us: yeah. brothers, sisters, and mom and dad. But. Uh, we uh, just kind of like to dabble in a couple of different things. I think we get that from my dad. He just kind of one day started picking up cookbooks and wow. he'll make anything and everything. Yeah, Biscotti's but he, he also was a panadero, like worked out okay. in Tijuana. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Okay, that's the connection. Yeah. So, you know, he learned how to, you know, he delivered the bread and that kind of stuff. So he's always been into baking. So. Okay. Kind of works out. My mom does all the traditional Mexican yeah. food. He is all my dad's experimental. Like experimental. What does he baking. like to like? What does he like to cook? Uh, I mean, literally one time he brought us like when we first opened up the studio. You know, yeah. he's like. Typical dad where he thinks he can stop by, you know, at any time. <laughs> so yeah. every once in a while we get like a knock at the door and he'd bring in like fried rice with like shrimp and like, you know, it's not. But it was like Mexican arroz that had been yeah. fried with jalapeno right. and like camarón and like, 
cilantro in it. It was yeah. it was definitely interesting. So he, it still has those familiar that familiar base, but yeah. other ingredients. Yeah. Oh, that's exciting. So you think you so um so you all think that came from your parents, just this like desire to be curious and to be entrepreneurial? Yeah, I think so. Dad worked construction all our life and uh, just always was building stuff. My dad, mm-hmm. was, if he was laid off for a little bit, he'd be at home building bird cages or fixing the sink or breaking something while he was fixing something else. But I think that's where a lot of that kind of curiosity came from and kind of that passion to kind of start yeah. something on our own. Huh. Yeah, He's a Mexican MacGyver. He thinks he can fix anything. <laughs> he can. That's the thing. He does. Dad. He does. He literally like. But he also when, breaks things. Yeah. Like what did he break? Give me a good story. Well, I'm trying to think what he's like. Like sometimes like if he's fixing the sink, you know, he'll fix the sink, but then it's like, well, I had to break the door in order to fix the sink. And then the door is broken for, you know, a few weeks till he kind of comes around to fixing it type of thing. But eventually it gets fixed. Like when we were in college too, we used to share a car at Rosa myself. We both went to school in the Bay Area, so we were pretty close by. And one time we came home, the car needed to part guy was like at the shop was like hey the part's not going to come in for another week so my dad made the part yeah made the part and we had that car for another four or five years and that car and my dad has that car now and it still has the same part and it still runs flawlessly you should interview your dad or make a little film about him fixing it's it's that famous word like oh we'll just mickey mouse it you know if they're familiar with that saying yeah and i'll say oh we'll just kind of you know do a little this a little that and it'll work for a bit my dad tried to do that but he was also terrible at it you guys sound like better versions of my parents (laughs) Well, like, it worked. Like it one, works. <laughs> like one time, the something happened with the plumbing, and he was like, "Oh, I'll fix it." So he's like, sticks the water hose down like the sewage drainage system, and we couldn't poop for like three days because he was trying to fix it. We were out in the backyard, <laughs> pissing oh, no. and pooping. Oh, no. Outhouse in the back. And I was like, "Dad, like, you need to call the plumber right now because a, you're gonna cause more damage and make it more expensive, and b, you have no clue what's going on." And then we discovered that there was like a dead possum, like in a, a deeper end of the sewage system where like oh, no. nobody could Clogged reach. It up. Yeah, because the the house next door was like being sold and nobody was there and blah blah blah. No, he Yikes. was terrible at those things. He was no good. Yeah. yeah. Well, my dad's pretty good. I think that's why he gets away with it. <laughs> that's it's a <laughs> that's why we never have to go to a mechanic. It's like, oh no, just bring it by. I'll fix it. If I don't know how to fix it, he'll use his tap into his network of people. That's yeah. another thing about being in a small town. Like right. people always. You have access to a little network of people, yeah. you know, so even if you don't know how to do something, you find someone, so. And certainly people from Los Angeles that are listening understand that sort of, like, small town, little concentrated community aspect of L.A., but for those that are outside of L.A., can you talk about that a little bit? Just It's a big city, but there's a, these interesting little pockets everywhere. Yeah, it's a big city because technically, like, parts of, like, and we live in a very interesting city because we are our own physical city with our own city council um, our own mayor but um you know you're close enough to downtown la yeah right but um you're i mean we're in a predominantly like immigrant community right. so like i mean the the thing that i never understood like growing up like my mom never learned english right my, never my parents has. didn't either yeah. and because there was no need to i mean right. you can walk into it wasn't for a lack of effort or just like being stupid no or no it's it just like... that you can naturally walk yeah. into our neighborhoods and never have to speak a lick of english right, right? you can go into the supermarket you know, you go and pay your bills. Everything is because it's... And then it's very much that immigrant community. Like, most of the people you bump into around here are either from, like, Zacatecas, Michoacan, mm. Jalisco, that area. So that chain migration that's been... Yeah, I think that's why you get these very niche communities where it's, like, very community-based because, you know, you know Julano Sutano from that town that lives down the street. or mm-hmm. um, So it's a very, very close community but we like that we i mean it's not for everybody some people it's like no i want to go somewhere where no one knows me but for us um 
community is really important for us. I mean, mm-hmm. especially it's why we chose to be here. And, you know, I mean, hopefully for us, like for Elizabeth and I, I mean, hopefully set a good example for the youth growing up right now. You know, I mean, if you have a dream, you chase after it, you work your ass off, but, you know, you chase after it. And that's kind of how, yeah. how we started off. So let's talk about your business. So um, just give me, give me a quick rundown of uh, what you all do here. And so, how, how long have you been doing it? So we're storytellers. At, at really at the core of it, that's what we are for Alas Media. We're visual storytellers. Mm-hmm. So we primarily do video production, um, everything from business profiles to nonprofit marketing videos, um, and then a lot of kind of little things in between, commercials. And then we also do, um, we take that video production model and incorporate it into the classroom. So mm-hmm. education is a big part of who we are. So we take that model, take it into the classroom, show teachers, principals, students how to implement movie making into the classroom to make learning fun and exciting. And that's really what we like to do. We like to tell stories. Um, We like to be in the community. We like to learn new things. And we're documentary filmmakers, which kind of makes us a little different. So we're not your traditional. We do some narrative, but documentary really is at the heart of what we do. So you don't come from the commercial side to come from? No, we, we definitely come from the documentary side. But for us, which is what we love, because we're constantly learning. Sometimes we get thrown into projects where... We may be working on things around horses. For a while, we were producing TV shows on horses. TV shows were new to us. Horses were new for us. But what were you doing? What we were traveling. <laughs> what, what yeah, TV it was shows? an interesting. Was um, we were traveling all over. Um, these clients would send us out to Scottsdale, Arizona. Huh. We went to Florida to film some polo matches. They were looking for a production company to work on some videos for them um, for a TV station that they had just acquired. We just were we were looking for kind of new adventures. We're always kind of trying to dabble in a couple new things, and for us it was a good challenge. Um, so we were out doing filming all these kinds of horse shows, and how did, it was they, how did they find how did they find you? So well, one of the things was that we helped them develop the shows. So, okay, so you did this the, was like, a com- they were a company based up in um, northern part of California. Okay, and so um, one of our friends, and at the time he worked with us in the business it, connection, he had met like, hey, I have these friends who are you know, really into the horse community. They just started this big, you know, um, online um, community for horse, like people who are in everything equestrian. And so they approached us. We sat down and we said, you know what, we can develop five shows. Like okay. very much in an approach. I think because that's one thing that we love about and why we are kind of very documentary focused is that it's like the process of learning, yeah. right? Like that's essentially what a documentary is. Like, let me show you what I've learned. Yeah, as a subject, it's focused way. on the subject. And so that's how we developed it's those five subjects. Those kind of five shows were very much around that. Hmm. Um, you know, figuring out like taking people on this journey of you know if you're um, into like the competition aspect, if you're someone who likes to travel and wants to figure out how do I travel with my horses, right? Huh. There was a show built around that. So we kind of helped write these shows out and we'd go out and and film them and so uh it's i mean for us it's always exciting i think that's what's exciting about being a documentary filmmaker it's you don't get stuck in a niche of a type of film it's everything totally broad so what what happened with that show though so we helped yeah we helped them develop the the different uh the five different shows they aired them for about two years or so um, and then, unfortunately, they just couldn't get the funding and keep it going. Mm. But it was, a, you know, like anything for us, an exciting project, a great learning experience, too, because we were, I mean, pumping out episode after episode nonstop. It's a lot of work, too. A lot of work. But and it's very fun because it's one thing that's about as a filmmaker is you have to have structure, mm-hmm. especially as a documentary filmmaker. You don't want to end up with 
200 hours for <laughs> right, right. a one hour episode, right? right? So we would plan things out to the T. So, and that's kind of why we use that model in education. Right. It's essentially problem solving. How do you take on, this is the problem, here's the big idea. One thing too that we did, that project that we kind of really believe in too is we worked with Apple. Um, they're on their education side for something called challenge-based learning, which is kind of like problem-based learning. You mm -hmm. can hear that a lot in schools. But one thing that we believed in, and that's why we jumped on that project, we did a little test pilot, they loved it, hired us on to do some work for them, is challenge-based learning where you take a real challenge, like what's a problem, and how do you actually you know, do something about it? As opposed to kind of pretending like, oh yeah, what would you do if you were in this scenario? No, like here's the real problem, and how do you go through the process of figuring out, which is very much like a film. Here's this, yeah. as a documentary filmmaker, this is the concept that we're exploring like okay what do we want people to learn from it yeah. and how are we going to do it so it's it's very much that framework so when we go into schools it's really teaching kids like how do you solve problems hmm. right so i think which is a skill that i think is super crucial especially we can teach kids at an early age how to solve problems so you're not just you know stuck where you're like oh okay well that's and that's and that's really important because it's the higher the higher brain functioning mm -hmm. and the critical thinking development and, and all that and I think, and I think, I think part of what you're describing that's interesting too is, uh, is for myself as well. Like I'm a very visual learner. It's very hard for me to deal with things that are, that are written. And so something like that would be very compelling for me when I was younger. Yeah, and I think what's what's great about filmmaking process is you have both. You have, right. and I think that's where, you know, Elizabeth and I being sisters and working together, it works really well because I'm very visual. Where Elizabeth can be a little bit more linear, which is a great balance for. The work that for your projects, yeah. right? So, in, like, case, in case people didn't catch that, they are sisters. Let's yeah. be clear about that. <laughs> and so, it works out really well. I think that's what's great about the film. So, even if you're not interested in or consider yourself a creative, there's still that aspect mm -hmm. of we need to write the story. We need to figure out what we need. We need to make sure we have a list of the things that we need. So, there's there's a balance yeah. for both. Right. And I think that exposure, especially at a young age, to figure out how do you do that is super crucial and I don't think we teach that enough in schools too, yeah. so yeah for sure what do you think Liz? yeah definitely and I mean uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, <laughs> just to kind of give a, a little bit of background too on how Androsa and I got started because I feel yeah, it's yeah, important yeah. is that we started filmmaking in high school let's hear so, your origin story yeah so we started filmmaking in high school we were part of this really great group called it had a was really it, long name was it through your high school or was it just you on the side it was like, through, our, through our high school it was kind of a class but turned into an after school thing um, we called ourselves the San Fernando Education Technology Team Jesus, or SVT terrible. for short yeah. it was a terrible name yeah very well, long city's pretty long you got San Fernando I mean that's a long name yeah. to begin with well i think i think you know so sometimes i think as spanish speakers like one of the things i've learned as a grad student is my english syntax is in spanish or my spanish syntax is in my english or whatever so while i'm speaking in english i actually am thinking in spanish my brain's wired in spanish and i think that might be a good example because in latin america like all the names are classically like long and unwieldy oh, yeah. but they end up being really conveniently convenient acronyms yeah whereas in this case that's not a convenient oh, acronym no, not but our acronym was sfegt so yeah, so that's even that's it, equally uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, so, yeah, <laughs> but I think it's a funny translation thing. Yeah. You know? yeah. But we were part of this really great program where we learned how to tell stories. We were 
constantly working on different multimedia projects, mm-hmm. but filmmaking was really at the focus and at the core of that. And I think that's where that passion for community really developed because we we didn't have things to film. We didn't have actors. We didn't really know anybody who knew how to act. So we didn't do narrative as much. Mm. So we worked with what we had. So we'd run out into the community. And when there was a Cesar Chavez March, Dia de los Muertos event, we were out shooting. So we were out interacting with, you know, interviewing politicians or chasing down the organizers to kind of, you know, film them, which for us was great, but for them was a great marketing piece. Yeah, right. We learned how to documentary filmmake really at a, of, at a young age. And what kind of equipment were you using back then? We were really fortunate. We had a couple of, of really great cameras. We had an XL1S, oh. uh, a GL2. Um, well, that was that was a little bit later on, but in, in the early stage, it was just like those little ultra yeah. cameras, you know, like very kind of clunky. clunky. You can like hear the, the winding of the mini DV. Yeah, it's all mini DV, you know. But I think what was great about it's it is that news. you didn't really, it wasn't about the quality. I think because of the stories that we had. Yeah, sure. That's what was, you know. So a lot of the stories ended up being like Elizabeth said, about, you know, the community events. But there was a lot of like opportunities for us to talk about like our stories. And I think when you come from, and I think that's probably why we really are drawn to documentary work. As Latinos, you're like storytellers, at least in our family. Mm-hmm, sure, yeah. It's very much, it's a very oral, you know, culture where it's like you, I mean, as, I mean, for us growing up, it was very much about, you know, sitting around and hearing stories from our mom or dad or, you know, abuelita or abuelito talking mm-hmm. about their experience. And so a lot of our stories talked about that immigrant experience or, you know, us growing up in like what is i mean i guess people would identify it as an immigrant community right because you have people coming going all the time but for us it was just how we grew up so a lot of those stories were around you know very much talking about whether you know the first one to take off to college or how you know your mom kind of came across the border mm. or really talking about those stories that really were important to us. Stories often. yeah and mm. a lot of times i mean one thing that we when, when we were in high school it's like a lot of when we wanted to do those kinds of stories, I mean, a lot of our, like my mom didn't want to be interviewed because it's still a so very it, kind of traumatic it's experience really raw for too. Folks, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, certainly one of the, one of the things that have that have come across a lot being a historian of Central America is a lot of young folks that I meet, uh, they're not too aware of their their heritage because it's really hard for folks that left Guatemala, Salvador, yeah. left the violence to like discuss the things that they saw. And what they saw was like really, you know, yeah, brutal, horrible. Yeah. You know? And then I think I've been an interesting sort of resource for them just to like learn a little more about their heritage and maybe, I mean, hopefully, um, maybe interact with their parents and do some healing because you can't, you just can't hold in those stories. Like yeah. you do have to, I mean, it's part of what storytelling is too. Mm-hmm. It's healing, it's connecting with people. It's, yeah. it's all these different things. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how we started off. So we kind of really got really involved with the process of filmmaking and telling stories in high school and then... Um, I took off to school in San Francisco. Where, where school did you go to? University of San Francisco, USF. And who, who's older between you two? I am. How, how much? Just by like a year and a couple months. Okay. So, so we're pretty close right. in age. Yeah. yeah. So then right after I started, Elizabeth took off to Berkeley. You went, so that's where you met Danny? Yeah. Okay. So we uh, kind of, you know, grew up in college, those, you know, in the Bay Area. And then, you and know, What did you major in? Uh, undergrad was media studies. What about you, Liz? Sociology and Spanish literature. Okay. And then um, I stuck around for, I did the dual degree program, so I was able to do my bachelor's and master's around the same time. Oh, what was your master's in? Uh, education. Okay. So. That's your intellectual background. Yeah, so I mean, I just, there was two things I loved to do. Like, I loved making films, but I loved sharing that process mm-hmm. as well. And so, we kept filming, I mean, even though, like, I guess like for most 
majors like you don't really tap into hands-on projects till you no. get you know toward the later years especially at a large state school yeah i mean well mine was small usf is actually really oh, small oh usf Sorry. Yeah, so it's a smaller University school, of San not Francisco, the state. Private yeah, school. Right, private sorry. school. So yeah. it's a little bit smaller, which is the reason I went there. I needed a smaller environment. Yeah. I and mean, my class size was like 25 students, right, which right, was right. awesome. Yeah. I had the same at a private school. And so... It's too crazy at the big schools. Yeah, so that gave me that flexibility to work on projects because we, we still worked on filmmaking projects in the summers. Yeah. And so at the time when I had taken off... Um, there was still some work I was doing like what was great about going to small schools I could talk to my professor and say hey I'm going to be gone I have to go to Peru to do some filming <laughs> which was great you know because they what all were you filming in Peru? Uh, it was Afro-Peruvian called Peru Negro oh. so they're like the culture ambassadors of of black Peru yeah. so it was again super fascinating story yeah. like God, yeah. the Peru that I knew was very you know Inca indigenous mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. But it's this huge culture of, you know, when um, African slaves mm-hmm. were brought into Peru. And so you have this mesh of two cultures. And so this Afro-Peruvian culture was just fascinating me. So um, I traveled around with the group for a bit, you know, throughout the U.S. And, and we did a couple different multiple types of projects when we were, and also for money, you know, because, you know, when you're in college, it's like we put ourselves through college. So we kind of have to find a way to kind of make some money gotta hustle Mm -hmm. so we kept working on projects small things for bands and things like that and so when we graduated so is that that sort of where this started then just making those kind of because then we figured like wow like people will pay us to go out and film like that so you learned you learned that it's actually a viable way to make some money right so you know we started out with small little projects a lot of stuff a lot of stuff we were doing is was a lot around music and bands going out and filming and things like that and so then when I graduated, it came back. Elizabeth was still up at, at Berkeley. And it was either I moved to Mexico City and go teach or... Why Mexico City? I had gotten a job out there as, at an uh, international school in, oh, cool. in El Efe. Huh. And so... With the Chilangos. Yeah. I mean, I was always close tied to like... Sure. You know. And because we would grow up to going to Mexico in the summers. Like a lot of kids around here, you spend a lot of your summers... What's, I mean, it's the, and that's, this is the other piece that I have a hard time explaining to people internationally is that like in the communities that we grew up in that are not perhaps not predominantly but have a significant amount of immigrants like we are living in Mexico in a lot of oh, ways yeah. you know in terms Absolutely. of customs and food and, oh. and sort of style of living and culture and method of communication and mm-hmm. all of it very um, much so I mean especially I mean you go to lots of places like in Mexico now and a lot of them like we were just recently in San Miguel Allende and I think there's but, uh, more uh, Americans there than oh, there yeah. are Mexicans all now. the retired expats are up there yeah, right so sure. you know and very much in our community it's I mean all Mexican yeah. I mean when we went to high school it was like 99% of us were all Mexican so whose idea was it to start the company then sounds like it might have been yours Kind of, yeah. We were kind of dabbling with one of my other friends who was here who had kind of started a company, same thing. We had kind of worked with him in the summers. He had started, a, so off of that SFET program we were a part of, he started an SFET Pro where it was like professionals. We can go out and do some work. So we would do some work with them. Mm. But then he um, lasted for a couple of years and then kind of just kind of let it go. Spizzled out, yeah. And, you know, got a regular job. And so we were just chatting and I was like man I gotta make this decision and he's like well he wanted to give it another go and I'm like man I I, I really want to see if we can maybe make this happen as much as I want to move to Mexico City it'd be kind of in my gut I was kind of like 
we can try this. Let's give this a go. I mean, if mm. I want to go into teaching, I can always do it in, yeah. you know, next year if it doesn't work out. So that year we, we kind of, you know, started working out of a friend's garage and just kind of start building up some money so that we could afford this space yeah. that we're in now. And then, yeah, a year so after Elizabeth was done and she jumped on board too. So how did it feel for you when she sort of pitched you this idea? You know, I was in the process of applying for a master's and I was taking a class and I was getting all my paperwork ready, getting ready to take my GRE and Rosa calls me kind of out of the blue and says, hey, don't go get your master's, come work with us. We're starting a production company and... I thought she was crazy. I was like, no way. How much money will I be making? How much this? And we had no clue. They were kind of, it was kind of like, you know what? Nothing at first, but we'll get paid as we go. And for me, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit more structured. I need to know what's coming and, you know, yeah. all of this. So it was definitely an adventure. But, I mean, I love working with, with Rosa and um, I love telling stories. And it was, for me, it was a really big gamble. I wasn't sure that I wanted to kind of just jump it in. It sounds like she was doing more filmmaking during college. Where you I, I was doing filmmaking as well. I used to work for the Center for Latino Policy Research in okay. Berkeley. I filmed all our seminars. I did all our design. And um, we'd occasionally work on projects together when they needed a two-person crew. We'd, we'd kind of collaborate on a few things. But I didn't think I was going to go into filmmaking afterwards. I just mm. thought it was what I did on the side for kind mm. of fun more. So hobby. But... Rosa calls me and she just, you know, she was really convinced. Like I could hear in her voice. I mean, I know my sister pretty well, and sure, yeah. I knew it was gonna work. Like just hearing how excited she was, it was one of those things. Well, it was like, either like, kind of just give it a year or so. If it doesn't work out, you can always go and apply for grad school. But I mean, I knew she'd be hooked. Like I mean, this is something that we love to do. It's something yeah. we would spend endless hours on, without pay. Anyway, so you know, so it's yeah. like if if we can try to really make this genuinely like. You know, at the time, it wasn't even, we'll make it a business. It was like, let's just do what we love. You know, at that point, it's like, you know, you only live once. Let's give it a go. If it doesn't work out, if we're totally broke, then, you know. But even then, we suck it out through. Like, Like any business, the first two years, three years are really tough financially. But I think that's one thing I really appreciate about being a filmmaker is going back to the problem solving. You figure it out. Mm. You know, when you really love Mm. something, you figure it out. Like how do we let's go back to there was a lot let's go back to the drawing board let's let's refigure this out so i think it makes you very persistent when you really love something and you'll keep coming back to that drawing board and keep tapping into people that you know um when you need help and that's a big part of you know tapping into a network of people i mean luckily because of our filmmaking and because of our community i mean we have access to people and for the most part people will help you yeah big step is like just asking. I think it, I think it's a, it takes a process for people to learn how to ask for help. It's hard for most folks. It is, but I think that's one thing that you really learn from filmmaking is you can make a you can try to make a film on your own, but it's really hard. There's a lot of moving parts. But if you have yeah. if you structure it out, right? That's where again like the structure comes in. If we see big picture, break down those pieces, who's in charge of that, you really start to figure it out. And so um so that's, no. I guess so now are you all a little more solid, I guess? Because you've been at it for maybe six, six, how long now? Yeah, it's going on seven years in October. So you're more solid now. Yeah, I mean, one thing was in the first couple of years was building a base of, of clients, too. How do we start to build partnerships? How do we start to um, make these connections? I mean, do really great work so that people will rehire us. So, you know, as we started to build that in those first two, three years, mm-hmm. a lot of our clients ended up becoming repeat clients. So a lot of referrals and so that's how we really kind of start to grow the businesses one believing in the quality of work that we do the stories that we tell and and two making sure that you know we really nurtured those relationships that we had with clients to make sure like if you're really happy you know please if another you yeah. know, opportunity comes up for someone that you know 
you know, it'd be great if you could refer us. And it's really even having, you know, the guts to be able to tell it to a client. Because when you're starting off, I mean, we didn't have a business background. So there was a lot of Googling, a lot of asking friends, a lot of asking other people, you know, the etiquette of how, you know, you run a business. Like, it's not an embarrassing thing. Like, that's what people do. That's what salespeople do. Right. right? I mean, but it's something that we had to kind of learn on the fly. That's how you hustle, man. Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, we, again, and, and we believed like if we provide really good quality work, people will, will come back or people will refer. I think, talking back about our parents, I think the one thing that I learned from my father that he did a really good job is he, so my connection to this area is we were vendors in the San Fernando Swamp Meet, which is supposed to be the biggest swamp meet west of the Mississippi. It's the best swamp meet. And the best swamp meet. Yeah. <laughs> biggest and best. And uh, my dad convinced a bunch of mostly immigrant Latinos to buy vitamins. Like, I don't know how the hell he did it, but I was, I was around him since I was 12, like listening to him talk about it and... Look at me, I'm eighty something, and I look amazing. Like I take vitamins every day, or whatever. I don't even, I don't even actually remember what he said ever, but just watching him do it was always impressive because so sort of the same skills that I have to do now for my business as well, like talking to people and mm-hmm. talking about the website and figuring out language and stuff. Yeah, I think those are all skills that are. It's like, man, I wish we would have learned that in school. You can't learn that in school though. You just learn it on the job, I feel but, like. Right, but you have to have a job that requires yeah. that. Right. But I think we do definitely get that. Our dad's very social. My dad's the kind of person that we pull up to park next to someone and he'll like go over <laughs> and offer like, hey, come eat with us. Like we were in yeah. Ensenada last year visiting family. Uh, There's a white guy next to us. My dad's like, oh, come have some pozole. Like uh-huh. him and his kid came over and like ate and my dad's very social and just kind of really knows how to talk to folks. Yeah. And in documentary filmmaking, a lot of the times your client, you know, they have an event, you're doing event coverage. Right. You need to go up to random people and say, hey, can yeah. I interview you? And it's it's one of those things that I think it's tough if you don't know how to approach strangers. You have to be disarming. Yeah, really but I think that's uh-huh. where Rosa and I were really fortunate. Like my dad can talk to anyone and everyone and keep you there for like 10 hours. So I think he really kind of gave us that gift of being able to kind of talk to po- folks and have a genuine conversation. Because mm-hmm. I think... That's where we feel our videos are very different from other folks is we're genuinely interested in what you have to say. Like for mm-hmm. us, it's not just like, hey, I need to do this video to pay, you know, my bills. It's kind of like, hey, I want to tell your story. I want to learn something kind of cool about you and, and share that with other folks. So I think that really comes across in our videos because we're really excited when we talk to folks, when we're yeah. at an event and kind of interviewing people. It's like we want to know why you're building that contraption and like how it's going to help folks and, and what that might be. But I think that definitely comes from my dad being able to kind of talk to folks and kind of just jumping in like blinded and kind of like hey you know i don't know what you do can you explain to me <laughs> yeah we'll figure out kind of have a cool conversation around it at least for me i get to be a little more selective about who i talk to so <laughs> I, don't, I don't get stuck with people i don't want to be around yeah. kind of convenient i think yeah for us it depends on the project but <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> for the most part i mean it's it's a process we really like yeah. you know where it's like you're handed this idea this is what we have to do let's find the people that will help us tell that story and find all the parts and it's like putting a puzzle together and what's kind of neat about it is that we always have that creativity to figure out how do we want to tell that story. And so, I mean, it's just little work that we really enjoy doing, you know, day in and day out. So um, and tell me about this sort of, you know, you, you have a business now that's pretty solid. And you've also just gone to a lot of places. Like, tell me about just some of the places you visited doing these, these projects. Yeah, so we've been everywhere. I mean, one of the first places we traveled to, and a lot of it was originally from you know the work that we were doing in high school uh we were doing some really good quality work at the time and so we were invited to different places like you know um we had the opportunity to go everywhere from canada to australia we've been through most of the u.s Mm. you know everything from new york to texas boston 
Uh, recently, we were just out working in uh, Geneva. Mm. Um, so it, it really varies. I mean, it's been great just to be, you know, even in college when we we're doing that kind of work to Peru, to Mexico. Um, Keynote conferences back then, you know, going to Toronto and a couple other places. But Rosa and I had never really traveled. We had been to Mexico in the summers. Right. You know, our tia had a farm out there, and that's kind of where we went to the rancho, like in the summer. And that which was, a, that which was again, it. isn't a big stretch from where we are now. Oh, right? no, yeah. Yeah, yeah a cl- pretty close proximity. But, um, you know, we had never really traveled. The first time I got on a plane was in high school. Same for Rosa. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, you never would have thought, like, these two young girls from San Fernando would one day like, travel the world. It's it's kind of been a cool thing. And then we don't just travel ourselves. Our, our projects have really traveled. And that's why we also our name Alas Media, like, wings. Our projects always have wings. And, I mean, our projects have displayed, like, in conferences all over mm. or in classrooms or... Um, I think it was Penn State who started uh, playing one of our movies that we did in high school for their digital storytelling class. <laughs> so it's kind of cool, you know, the, your projects yeah. that you work on kind of have those wings and they kind of go beyond yeah. and travel uh, more so than you do sometimes. Well, so, it's, so it's funny for me too, looking at the analytics and just seeing where exactly people are like checking out my website and, you know, somebody in like London or Croatia or something. You know, yeah, we, we have this yeah. Uh, website that we call, uh, that we run called Flick School where we kind of just sometimes we post like mm. free tips on like, you know, if you're having trouble syncing an iMovie or working in Final Cut, just kind of things that we learn that we get stuck on that we're like, like man, I wish Q&A. someone would have told yeah. me. Yeah, and then we see all our hits and we get a lot of hits from Germany and Australia for some reason. <laughs> we don't know why, but that's where all the traffic's coming from. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's definitely been an interesting journey. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the best part was seeing, I mean, one of the films that Elizabeth's talking about that we had the opportunity to go to Toronto with was uh, a film that we called um, Ham and Eggs. Um, it was about um, the immigrant experience for one of our Theos who came to the U.S. and mm. um, Particularly, he was in San Francisco and, um, you know, didn't know how to speak English. So he ate donuts for like 15 days because <laughs> that's all he knew how to ask for was coffee and donuts. And so uh. until he learned how to ask for ham and eggs, like all he had was donuts for like 15 days straight for breakfast, oh you know. Um, but just like it, uh. stories like that, you know, and I think that's what really resonates with people you know is having that connection to a story and so i think that's that's what keeps it fresh for us too and that's why i think we really love documentary filmmaking is that i mean every day we're working on a completely new project so every every time we start a new project it feels like we're starting all over again so you're constantly feeling like even if one we struggled with one project which happens and it's like it's really hard to you know finish and, and close it out the next week we'll be working on something new so it's like oh okay like so it, it never gets tiring it's like it's always something new it's always something and yeah some projects are more exciting well, than it's others, always a, but... it's always a challenge in some mm-hmm. way and so if people were to want to see that film ham and eggs where where would they find it um that one we have posted i think that sfgt site's still on right yeah. so like a lot of the student projects that either elizabeth and i worked on early on and then uh, the program was around for like 10 years, so mm. that's still hosting. We host it off of our site just because we didn't want to let it go because it was, yeah. I mean, great stuff that, you know. Yeah, it's good expression. That, but especially even before YouTube was around, right, those right, were right. really popular, you know, films. That, it's a representation of youth media too, which is important. Yeah, and especially because this was stuff back in like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. It's before a lot of things so were, before, were popping. Yeah, yeah so I think... Uh, had YouTube been around, I think a couple of our videos would have gone viral. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You know? Because, yeah. um, I mean, they were good for being 
I mean, high school kids. I, I mean, I would venture to say at the time that we were making things. Like, we had better equipment nothing, than most people have, too. You know, we had, like, XL1s I, and stuff. You know, we had an XL1 later on, but I think for me, like, looking back, it was the stories. Oh, well, certainly. They but, were these true stories you know, of, like, you know, kids in this, you know, yeah. small community. Um, but the image quality helps, too. I mean, You know, it's not... The quality wasn't that good, because mm. when you would compress stuff online back then, uh, yeah, right. it looked crappy it was right. terrible yeah, quick yeah. Time too, yeah so. this was even before like was, iMovie was around yeah no bandwidth different yeah. so it wasn't it Fair didn't enough. visually look better but I think there wasn't stories being told like that like you know it's not like now where you can go to YouTube and find people's immigrant stories or find people you know yeah, like true anything. story right I mean I think at that time we were telling very true genuine stories and which is why I think you know we had got a lot of air coverage from whether it was Telemundo, Univision, um, even the George Lucas Education Foundation came out, Apple, you know, all those folks were kind of seeing like, wow, this, you know, school in L.A. where And in the high school we were at, it was like a zoo, man. It was 5,000 kids at a yeah. high school. I mean, it's massive. I mean, you know what it's like growing up in mm-hmm. these communities where it's like you're one of thousands of kids, you know. So, And that's kind of why our bigger goal, too, is, you know, I mean, unfortunately, our high schools still have a hard time graduating students. I think if you made it, you know, brought in, and it's sad that the arts get cut off oh, yeah, predominantly. And it's like, if you can get kids to genuinely love something, I think they'll be successful. They like, find a, If they can figure out how to find a passion, they're going to do a lot better. Yeah, because then you have that persistence. I think persistence is something so important that you need to learn. Like, even if you're not good at it, you'll figure it out. Yeah. If you really love it, I mean, it's, like if, it's like if you're and... a skateboarder. You're going to yeah. fall. You're going to cut yourself. You're going to get stitches, you know. If you're a surfer, if you're whatever that hobby is, like you're going to fail a lot at it, but it's how, you know, you get back up, you keep working at it till you get to a point where it's like, and you never really stop learning, you know? So I think that's very much like our approach to it right now too is, you know, I mean, where we'll be in five years. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't have imagined we would have been here, you know, six years ago. I think for us, it's not, as long as we never lose that passion, that love for it. You know, we're open to explore and see where things take us. Um, you know, that's what I think for us, you know, especially, you know, I mean, as you start to get old, older, you start to figure out what do you want to do in life? Well, it's like, I just want to be happy. And this is what, what makes us happy. Mm. No, and then thinking about high schools too, I think one of the, one of the big elements, especially these larger urban high schools is, is so much of the emphasis and resources are, are placed on discipline as well. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, the kids that are doing well or the kids that are like midline, there's an avid program sometimes, mm-hmm. but you know, the, the vast majority of the resources are about keeping people in line. Yeah. You know? And that's not how you get kids to care about their themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Or like, and what happens too is you get sold on to go to college, like, because you right. have to get good grades because you have to go to college because that gets you a good job. It's like, that's not really a formula anymore. That doesn't really no. exist. So it's like, and the, the, that extra layer that you get, especially in Latino communities, like it's not even just pushing to go to college because unfortunately the retention rate is terrible. Yeah. Like we can't even keep kids in college. I think because you lose that passion, you don't figure out. Like you're told so much. Okay, you got to go to college. You got to go to college. So the few that make it to college, they don't even know what to do. It's like figuring out. Like oh man, I don't know what I love. I don't know yeah. what I'm interested in. Just the pressure of being there. Yeah. This is not so it's. But that's also why we keep that kind of education time. I mean, for us, it's important. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. we know that. I mean, had we not had this opportunity, I just don't know where I'd end up. You know, and so like filmmaking is what, what really did it for us. Mm. What do you think, Liz? Yeah, I mean it's, it's so exciting for us because I think it's the one thing that kind of helped us develop skills. I mean, filmmaking for us was 
you watch videos of Rosa and I talking when we would be interviewed in high school and I mean we sounded completely different you know (laughs) vocab wise and things like Uh that but I think filmmaking kind of really along the way helped us academically even you know on how to write essays how to think how to kind of structure things and it's what helped us kind of succeed at college was like Rosa mentioning like you know that problem solving like we were at these universities we came from these pretty not so great high schools and you had to kind of problem solve it was sink or swim and that's pretty much what each project like we get hit with like all kinds of obstacles when we're filming whether it's like hey your mic died or you know different things happen and I think that problem solving and that troubleshooting just kind of really helped I mean it helps in every things it helps in the business and I mean it's why we're here today and I mean it's it's fun like this isn't work it doesn't feel like work and you know we go to happy hour with some friends sometimes and it's like hey how's work and they're like oh, I don't want to talk about it and with us it's like hey ask us what we're working on like we're really excited you know not to rub it in but you know for us it's fun and like Rosa mentioned the, the day it stops being fun is the day that we're done yeah. but I mean six years in it's like every day is a challenge sometimes some projects are more fun than others but it's I mean it's fun it's what we love it's to do it's hard to find a good gig I mean nobody's yeah. happy in their you know most people that are in an office a 9 to 5 gig it's like yeah. everyone we get to work in our socks we're editing in the studio most of the time so people knock on the door and I'm like why are you guys in your socks it's like oh we're home we're I'm editing you know? it down. I mean, yeah. yeah it's very loose yeah it's, we enjoy it I mean it's again I mean it's, it's not, very ideal yeah, yeah I, I mean I think it's when we appro- because we approached it in a way like man we just want to really do something that we really like to do but we worked really hard at it. It's not like, yeah, I really love doing this and let's kind of put it together. Like, no, we really, part of the reason why we were talking earlier, like why we just dove straight into it. Like, yeah. we're not going to get part-time jobs. We're not going to just do this. Yeah. No, we're going to totally, you know, commit 100% of ourselves into to the business. And it has its ups and downs too. I mean, it's not the ideal schedule. I mean, there's things like we have to miss out on family events because right. we're traveling yeah. or... You know, so as much as traveling is so much fun and exciting, you don't really get to see a city when you're working in it for the most part. You know, you're you're working, so it's it's like yeah. with anything, it has. It's not leisure. Down. It's not leisure travel. When you're it's not leisure. Travel, it's like not yeah, leisure we're travel. not we're not traveling for you know, where I'm I'm packing you know a hat and gonna lay out in the sun <laughs> like that's just not gonna happen. But more than anything, I think it's um, meeting people. I mean, that's, again, the thing that we love about documentary filmmaking is meeting people, hearing their stories. Like, I think, and then that resonates back to, like, I think, like Elizabeth said, from, like, my dad. Like, we grew up so much hearing that from him and, like, stories. And, you know, it's, like, it's just part of who we are. And I think because of that, that's what kind of keeps us in this direction. And I think think in terms of traveling, I think people often romanticize travel. People want to go traveling. But I think, you know, I'm, I'm in Minneapolis right now, and it's different in communities of color. Like, it's really a strain on us because we're not back with our families. We're missing parties. Mm-hmm. We're missing little kids' developmental mm-hmm. pro, you know, progress. We're missing um, just the things that bind us together. And it's, it's, a, it's di- I don't know, it's just different for us. Yeah. You know? I think, like, every year we have this big conference we've gotten to in Boston. Every year we miss my mom's birthday, like, the last oh, five years. We celebrate oh. before we leave. You know, it's not the same thing, you know. Same. And, and Rosa and I are a little bit on the older side of the family, so we're the ones that kind of help coordinate right. things. So it's difficult. But, you know, it's one of those things. It's it's, it's a good that. gig we go to every year. We yeah. know it's always annual, and we always miss my mom's birthday. So we're hoping dates get switched around so we can stick around <laughs> one of these years. Yeah. But yeah. it's hard. You know, it's, it's sometimes you sacrifice that or it's your own birthday and it's like well i have a deadline so it's right. not like i can call in sick yeah. to work you know but yeah because the this all just depends on your labor yeah yeah and and because like a lot of our work too is it varies it fluctuates yeah. so sometimes we're multitasking on four or five different projects and sometimes it's a little bit slower and 
you know, we don't have... It's not consistent it's, at all. It's not consistent. Yeah. So, um, you know, we also have to be very persistent, you know, because we're also the ones running the company. So we're doing the creative side, but then we also have to have the sit-down meetings where it's like, okay, kind of do some projections. Let's figure out where we are. Where do we need to be? So it's, it's a, I think it's a good balance. And I think that's, again, where Elizabeth and I work really well together, you know. So it's like the balance between the creativity, but then also, you know, running the business and it, making it's a sure business. it's a business. We stay Stuff afloat. Get paid. Yeah. So right. um, it's, I mean, it's definitely been the best learning experience I've ever been through. And it still is because we're yeah. constantly learning. Yeah. You know, from one year to the other. It's like, oh, yeah, we shouldn't do that anymore. <laughs> well, it sounds like in, the more you take on different types of challenges, there's always different learnings. Mm-hmm. Here, right? And I think that's part of it, too. I mean, that's an important point is, like, we love challenges. You know, some people get spooked or get nervous. I mean, it's not to say we do get nervous before a big project or a gig, but, you know, I think I, I heard... Um, I think presenting a project is always a little scary, too, I'd imagine. Yeah. It is. It really is, especially when you're projecting it on a big screen yeah. and there's, like, thousands of people. It's like... Yeah. Oh, the audio's leveled, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, where's the left channel? Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, and it's always, yeah. and you're always putting yourself out there because yeah. people have their opinions about it. So, you know, some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. Some people are going to think it's okay. I mean, it's, you're, you, but you have to have tough skin, especially yeah. in, in any business, really. You have to have tough skin because you're either going to get knocked down on a project. No, we didn't like your proposal. And you don't take things personal. Like, that's just what it is. I mean... I think one of the easy things, too, about the sort of internet age that we're in is, like, like everything that I'm producing is available 24 hours. So it's, mm-hmm. it's not just, like, there's exposure, but there's exposure constantly. Like, anyone can possibly find it and decide it's the worst thing ever or the best thing ever or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's always live. It's always out there. Mm-hmm. It's just... It's a little nerve-wracking, you know? Oh, yeah. It is. But you also have to kind of take that step back, and it's like, when you put it up on there, you know that... Yeah. You have to be open to that. Very, and you have to be very intentional mm-hmm. because it is in that way. Yeah. Wow, it's just crazy. But it is pretty cool that you have the opportunity to share it with the world now. Yeah. As I long mean, as that speak, always amazes me. As long as it's the language, the appropriate language, I suppose. Right. Yeah. But even now, I mean, it's so easy to translate things. and yeah. um, Subtitle. And, Subtitle. Yeah. But I think that's, that's a great thing. You know, it's like we have friends, like, you know, all over the U.S. And it's like, hey, I saw your project. That's really cool. I really like that commercial you just did for whatever business that is. I'm sharing it with my kids in the filmmaking class. And it's kind of cool to see how that project just kind of lives beyond, you know, what the intention was. Whether it was, you know, a business profile and someone that we thought literally was just to kind of help them gain some exposure. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's being used in a filmmaking class. It's a teaching or, tool. Yeah, or whatever that might be. It's It's kind of a cool way to kind of see that it's like they have so much more life than what you had intention, originally had intended for it yeah. yeah well it sounds like you you both are maybe sort of getting towards doing more work around like film education as well it's amazing the combination i feel i feel we, that we, sort of like we stick yeah. around a lot with that and i think it, it really comes back to we had this amazing opportunity to find our passion and find a vehicle on how to make it happen that i think um it was, I mean, it's important because, like I said, I don't know where we would have ended up. I don't know what we would have ended up doing. Like, I don't know if I would have ended up, I definitely wouldn't have ended up going to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because part of the reasons was that I had gotten a really good internship out there because of the filmmaking. So, um, you know, I mean, we have, I think it's almost not that we feel like we have a responsibility, but we kind of want to make sure that. You know, as we have this interesting community that we're growing up in and it's, you know, slowly starting to change, it's like we want to make sure that, 
you know, because we still have a lot of problems in our neighborhoods. And Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things like growing up for us was like, everyone wants to complain about the neighborhood, but who does stuff about it? Everyone just leaves. You know, and it's yeah. like you can't change something if you just complain and leave. Well, you, I mean, all our communities are losing their intellectual capital. And so that that's, yeah, because they, they all go out somewhere else. Peace and and yeah. so that's one of the big reasons why we we stay here is that it's like, it's great to go out. I mean, it's amazing that more kids are taking off to college, but how do we get them to come back to really kind of, yeah. so that our we can still preserve our culture because that's a big part of who we are. Um, but also you know, make our community a better place. And for us, that's, those are two things that are really important to us. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, how much can we control that? I don't know, but we hope that at least having that presence here, you know, being really involved in the community, whether it's our alumni associations, whether it's working, you know, with the high schools, but at least we have, you know, this, I mean, I I feel like a sense of responsibility of of making sure like, you know, the day that I pass on, like, did I contribute? Did I try to make this world a better place? And I think through the kind of work that we're doing, like, I believe we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, at least for me, that's that's one of my goals is if I can make at least a small little difference or impact where I grew up in, then I'm happy. Hmm. Do you know that? <laughs> you heard that before? Ditto. Yeah. No, I mean, it's something that we yeah. talk about all the time. You know, it's okay. part of the reason why, like, Elizabeth and I are so involved in whether it's the Kiwanis Club, whether it's the Alumni Association. Like, you, you need to be able to make things happen in our own community. And so with the kind of work that we do, I well, think like, we do. Yeah, and I think one of the important events that we, we help host every year is, like, we jumped on board um, this really great, I guess you can kind of call it, like, organization. It's called Help Portrait. Um, a few years ago, Jeremy Cowart, who's a, a big filmmaker, um, kind of put a call out to filmmakers like, hey, go out into your community. Um, He's a photographer. Uh, yeah, photographer. So, sorry, photographer. And put a call out to photographers like, hey, take a picture of someone in your community, give it to them for free, make the event as big or as little as you want. And uh, it's going to be six years. This will be our mm-hmm. sixth year doing the event. But um, when we originally started, we um, borrowed the suite next door, asked our landlord to let us borrow it took some photos of, I think it was about 12 or 13 12 families. families that we came. We photographed them. We did their makeup, you know, the whole thing. And every year our event's kind of grown. Um, the past two years we've been photographing about 100 families. Mm-hmm. So throughout the year we work with a few friends. We identify families who are, you know, just kind of in need, you know, having, having a hard time in the holidays, can't afford to take a family portrait. We bring them in. We do the hair and makeup. We have professional mm-hmm. hair and makeup artists. We have a kid's corner where we take care of their kids. We provide breakfast. They end up walking out of the event with a framed five by seven photo that, you know, they get to take home for the holidays. And for us, it's kind of, it's those cool kind of things that we, that power of filmmaking and photography allows us to do, you know, giving back in, in little ways that, you know, we bump into these folks all over. They're from the community that right. we photograph. We just saw some of them a few weeks ago at, you know, Cesar Chavez March. It's like, hey, you know, and they kind of wave high. And for us, it's kind of that cool thing. It's like we have those tools and whether we're using them to give back in an education sense and a community sense. Um, well, it sounds like you're helping build communities. Yeah, too. you know, and, it, and it's, I think it's a great opportunity to be able to have those skills and come back into our community and be be the change that we want to see in the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just to get a little geeky for a second, so you use Final Cut 10? Or... Yeah, so we switched. So we, we, I mean, the reason we started using Final Cut is because um, when, right when we were kind of graduating or Elizabeth was still in high school, Final Cut came out, so right. we've been like huge users of Final Cut since then because it was available. You know, before that, iMovie was free, so we had been using Final Cut for years, and then Final Cut Ten came out. Yeah, 
And everyone's been complaining about everyone's it. Everyone's been complaining about it. Nobody likes it because you have to no buy the extra it. things. Because and... it's completely different. You have to relearn uh-huh. a program. But um, I haven't even tried it yet. I don't. Know. I I made the switch and I love it. Uh-huh. I wouldn't go back to the old one. Hmm. Uh, Why is that? We work? mainly use. What do you enjoy about it? We most? mainly use DSLRs. I love the workflow of it. Um, I think the workflow is what's, more conducive. What's the relationship with DSLRs and the workflow? Well, because because we're shooting on DSLRs, all of our audio is shot um, completely separate. Oh, so you. So we have to resync. You don't put a you don't put a, like an audio attachment to the DSLR. No. Or you can't. No, you can, but you don't get true good audio because uh, there's no way to really control it. And you can hear sometimes the the actual mechanics of, of the, the, camera, the camera, and it never sounds good. So we always shoot normally uh, on an, externally on an audio recorder. So in Final Cut 10, it's super easy. Before in Final Cut 7, you had to get a third-party software like we used to use, Pluralize, to, to, your, to sync it. You yeah. know, if you're syncing one or two things, you're fine. But um, in Final Cut 10, it's just easy because you're just literally clicking on the clips and it takes the audio, syncs it all for you, and wow. it, it's a lot easier. How does it sync up? It, it just uses waveforms. So as long as, you're, as long as you have audio on your camera and you have audio on your recorder, it, it knows the waveforms and it syncs it up. Wow. It's amazing. But the other thing too what is do that you, what do you sorry what do you what do you record on? Oh, we have a we have a Zoom. Okay. H four N. Which is different than this one. Yeah, and then we also have a Tascam, the DR one hundred DR one hundred, I believe yeah. it's called. A um, couple of different things there, right? So the audio is really good. Syncing is is awesome. But I like that we can also use multiple um, different formats of cameras. So I could be yeah. shooting Canon and Nikon and Panasonic, and I don't have to compress or you know make it change export to bring them all in so that final cut can read it uh, so it, it does it automatically so no matter what kind of these different formats. yeah and then multi-cam editing is fantastic on it too uh so it's, it's just better it's better just to record your audio separate from the camera but it was harder to do before exactly mm. but I've, I've really enjoyed it i think it, it does take some time i mean i literally sat down for i think it was like about a week you know, and every couple hours, every day, just kind of tinkering just with it. Comfortable with but it. it's like with anything. I mean, I think the reason people really complained about it is like they didn't want to have to spend the time to relearn something. You know, it, but it takes time. You know, I mean, you just have to work on something. I'm not going to sit there like for me. This is something I think we really learned, especially from the high school at the time, because we were never taught a program how to edit. It was really about story and then yeah. figuring out what tools do I need. Yeah. Which I think is a great way of doing it. Sure. Because if you just sit, if I just sit here and try to learn Final Cut, it's I'm not a technical person. No. Like I, I'm gonna, it's gonna lose me, right? So if I have a, a project I'm working on and then figure out what tools and do that I forces need, the teaching. then that really yeah. well, it's project based learning too, exactly. essentially. And so uh, I mean, it's something that I, I really liked this Final Cut Ten. I mean, it's so was was Final Cut Ten? Do you think anticipating the increased usage uses use of DSLR cameras? Absolutely, or? Okay. definitely. Because it came out right at the time where, you know... everyone does DSLR stuff now. Well, one, people like the look, right? Yeah, you definitely amazing. get more of that cinematic look. You can lose, you can get access to lenses a lot better. And two, it's gotten a lot cheaper. Like, you right. can walk into Costco and buy a DSLR They're pretty sweet camera. DSLR, yeah. And then, and then, and then and the capa- well, I guess the big thing is the capacity of the memory sticks. Yeah, and they're way cheaper. We yeah. used to shoot on, on P2 format. And those cards were expensive. And we were spending yeah. $600, $800 on a card. Crazy. Now it's like... You can go get a 32 gig card for a couple of bucks on like Amazon or wherever yeah. you buy it, and mm. it's it's gotten a lot cheaper and easier, and it's smaller. And Rosana are really right. small, you know. It's We're compact. not very big people, so <laughs> for us a DSLR is perfect because we can carry it around and not feel like yeah. our right shoulder is gonna right. fall off. And then back in the day, walking around with a bunch of mini DVs too. Yeah, you know, well, we still have stacks hour. of mini DVs from sure the do. first two three yeah. years that we started. But the other thing too is equipment's gotten so much smaller, like Elizabeth said. Yeah. Like for us, it's 
physically convenient because we don't have to carry as much. But because we also do documentary style work, it works really well because it's not so overwhelming when you're interviewing someone. Yeah, big, big cameras, yeah, people yeah, get yeah. really nervous. So keeping that footprint small, especially when we travel too, is yeah. it's good. I mean, when I was interviewing folks in Guatemala, like yeah. I have a little teeny camera because they were just way too distracted by right. anything large. And that. I'm still a believer, like you can have the best quality camera, but if you have a crappy story, like it's not going to go But it doesn't far. make a difference, yeah. Um, you know, ideally if you can have a good camera, great. But I mean, for me, story always will take the higher road then versus, you know, having the top gear. Yeah. And for, for the DSLRs, do you have to, do you have a separate rig just to like hold it or just exclusively just use a tripod or um, hold it We mainly use a tripod and then we also have a monopod. We have this yeah. great little Manfrotto pod that we have that has like the little stand at the bottom. Yeah. So when we need to, um, we try to, I mean, we've done a couple of, um, right. of gigs where we need to rent some gigs. We just rent those out because we don't use them that often, yeah. especially because Elizabeth and I don't, pretty expensive, yeah. don't really do like walking shots because we're short so we can't really <laughs> film um you know because most of the stuff we'd be filming would right. be shooting up into people which is not very flattering <laughs> notice so that's we don't really do that kind of work of, also because you get of, a lot of triple chins yeah so that, i mean you know <laughs> you you pick your battles and that's not one i want to you know we're not going to grow any no, taller. I'm not, not going to grow. I've already come to terms with that. So. so that's part of your filmmaking signature. Is... <laughs> so we don't really do. Unless we're going to do something like that, we'll hire out. You know, we subcontract. Taller people for required. We yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just the reality that's of it. It's a like, re- height requirement for your Yeah, it's just the reality that it just, it's not going to look as intriguing. No, it <laughs> Shooting up into your nose half the time is not going to no, be very not. flattering. Nobody wants to see up yeah. your nose. So we'll, we'll rent out rigs um, for that kind of stuff. Um, huh, interesting. But, um, I never thought about that. That's funny. Yeah. Because I'm about average height, so it's not too much of a problem for me. We thought we were average height until we left the community yeah. and realized, yeah, no, oh, yeah. we're I was short. In college, I was like, oh, wait a minute. Jeez. Yeah, no, we're not. We're I'm five five one. Like that's yeah. pretty small. Yeah, they're very petite women, listeners. Yeah, <laughs> But you know, we are taller than my mom and my great grandma. I'm about a yeah, I'm seven inches taller than my dad or something crazy. Yeah. He, yeah. didn't, he didn't like that. Mexicans are not very tall, man. No, we're not. We discovered that very quickly when we left the community. <laughs> yeah. What we thought was tall was like the wow, first six lesson. feet, and it's like, oh, no. wow, people are seven feet tall. No, no, no. Very different. But yeah, I mean, as far as like Final Cut Ten, I mean, it's been it's been great. We really like it, and there's so many mirrored tools now too. Like you know, whether I mean, you can edit on your phone. Like how cool is what? that? Yeah, what like what kind of program is that? iMovie, like on your oh, iPhone. Yeah, right. I mean, but like even for family movies, like I think it's so awesome. Yeah, like oh, the is. fact that you can actually do that. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, anyone can be a filmmaker now. Which is kind of terrible too, because then people just produce ridiculous stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, look at YouTube. You have a yeah. whole, you know, gamut of different, you yeah. know, from high end productions to like, wow, yeah. that really should not be on. <laughs> I think it's a good push, and it kind of that's why it kind of pushes me and Rosa to constantly evolve and constantly learn because it's right. like anyone can pick up a camera and a mic and. Anyone go out can and film. start this business. Yeah, and so that's why for us it's that constant like, hey, let's learn, let's learn how to tell better stories, use yeah. better gear, and I mean, be better filmmakers. You have a lot of potential competitors. Yeah, constant competition. Yeah. 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 But I think it, it always comes down, like I said, to the story. So I think that's still one of our, what really kind of Your sets advantage. us apart is, you know, being able to, to sit down with whoever we're working with and genuinely work with as opposed to coming in here and it's like, let me tell you yeah, what you need to do. And, yeah. No, like we, that process, we, whenever we work with our clients, like we sit down, we figure out what the message is and then we need to make sure that they trust us to deliver that. 
you know, as opposed to feeling like micromanaging. Like, that's not how we work. Like for us, when you come to us, like we're going to sit down, we're going to hear your idea and then we're going to help you flesh it out and, you know, give you, in our opinion, what's going to work best for yeah. that idea, for that message. For sure. And so I think that's still one of the, the main thing that sets us apart from, you know, a lot of other production companies that are out there that, you know, might have fancy gear, but they're just going to show up and point the camera and just, mm. roll. you know, and for us, it's, it's a lot more. It's a sensitivity. It's important. Yeah empathy with the project mm-hmm. um so getting close to the get close to an hour so um any websites people should check out if you're more curious about your work if, whoever is still listening i don't uh, know what you're thinking about this i don't know how, how um how far people go listening to these things but yeah well you can definitely check out our website it's alasmedia.net or alasmedia.com they both direct you to the same place mm-hmm. so that's where a lot of our you know current stuff is but we also have like a couple blogs in there so like Elizabeth was saying, like resources, if you're like, you know, a, a teacher looking for resources for your kids or if you're, you know, a young filmmaker trying to get better, um, we have a, a site on there called clickschool.com where we kind of have our little how-tos and things like that. Um, and that then we fun. also have a little community page, like kind of little passion projects every once in a while. We'll just do a project just for fun because we met someone really interesting and want to tell their story. Mm-hmm. So we have some of that stuff on our, our site as well. And let me know when you do that. And I'll, I'll, or somebody can let me know. I'll link it to through my site. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we have fun. those are little projects when, you know, when we get the opportunity to just work on something fun, meet someone really interesting, we just kind of like to capture that. And also kind of keeps us working on stuff because yeah. Elizabeth and I aren't, aren't the kind of people that can just sit and do nothing. So it's like if it works a little slow, we'll be working on something. Yeah, sure. Even if it's not paid. I mean, this, this entrepreneurial stuff is not the game for the lazy. Oh, you really, no. You really got to get I mean, I'm not taking buses and going all over the place just to find people. Yeah, no, it, it's work. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it's, it's not even just about having a passion. Yeah. You need to be persistent. And then you got to learn to do stuff you don't like, like accounting or things like that when you yeah. can't afford to, you know, yeah. you can, when you can afford to, you know, hire out for oh, stuff, right. great. But when you're a small production company and it's, it's one of those things that's like, we do the accounting, we do everything else. So my first tax cycle, I was scared out of my mind. Oh, I, got, yeah. I got audited by the state of Minnesota. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, it turned out to be okay, but I was just like, oh, my God, this is yeah. a scary letter. I'm actually real business. Like, but I think that's, like, you know, it goes back to that whole reaching out, you know, a lot of workshops, a lot of seminars. How do yeah. you do payroll? How do you run these things? But, you know, it's... All the boring stuff. Yeah, you know, you got to do some of that boring stuff. But when you, you try to balance it out, so you do a lot more fun stuff. And, and So we <laughs> right. do more fun stuff than boring, which is great. One, yeah. one should hope. Cool. All right, ladies, is there anything else uh, you want to leave whoever's listening with? I don't know how to say that right. Yeah, no, I mean, just... I mean, Follow your dreams, it sounds like. Yeah. The message. I mean, as cheesy as it sounds like... <laughs> You're full of cliches. It's you know, funny. yeah, probably, but it's one of those things that, like, it's what I live by, you know? It's like, find something, and who cares if you're not that good at it? You'll figure it out. If you really like it, you'll figure it out. You guys have a lot of bobbleheads. What's going on there? It's Dodger bobbleheads. We collect them. Oh, nice. Go Dodgers. My dad would my dad would never ever call me ever. He said he said I'm not a woman, so therefore he's not going to call me. Which I was like I don't really want to know what you mean by that. We're going to leave it at that. And I sent him a Fernando Valenzuela bobblehead once for his oh, birthday. Oh, that's awesome! It was the one time he called me. He's like, so thank you so much. I love you. <laughs> I can never go wrong with the bobblehead. Yeah. No. And I have one of myself. Oh, how cool! Yeah. Custom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like got, when I was working at a corporation, we got like 46 of them for everybody. Oh, that's cool. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. No, we try to keep our studio very chill mm-hmm. we spend most of our time here so right we kind of you know right. it's kind of like home away from home yeah i mean you spend more yeah. time here probably than you do at home yeah, oh, yeah. 
Do you still yeah. live with your parents or you have your own place too? No, we moved, once we moved out of college, we just never moved back. It's probably a good idea. Too many people living, you know, big Mexican house, Tia lives there. Everyone you need 13 people. <laughs> you try living in a house with 13 people. Yeah. No, thank you. No. no, no I don't no. want to try it. <laughs> Stay out of that conversation. No, we spent, a, like, so when we started the company, I mean, there was times when we'd just crash here too. Yeah, it's just easier. Yeah. Whatever. But we learned very quickly how to be efficient so that all-nighter stuff just doesn't happen no, anymore. Not going to happen not worth anymore. It. It's not worth it. Well, you just got to be efficient with your time. And yeah. we learned that. And I think that's part of that process, that filmmaking process, that you just learned how to, you know, really bring it down to a science so that... Just be really disciplined about mm-hmm. it. Break it down so that there is no need to stay till 10, midnight, working on stuff. Well, you can also just waste your time on the dumbest shit ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. You know, there's like times where... I'm like little projects that I've worked on where I'm like working on 10 seconds for like five hours or something just because yeah. I get so fixated with it. Yeah, and it's like with anything, like for most of our projects, like if you just let it, us keep working on it, keep working on it, you'll you, never be you done. You can keep working you on will, it. You will, and you, yeah, you will. And at good. some point, you need to just like... You gotta know when you're done. Yeah. It's like this thing's over. Yep. Done. So that's why for us, like, we set a deadline, and it's like we're... Make sure we get it done way before then, so that there is no need to stay up all night, or... You know, a lot of times we like to deliver early to clients, too, to the extra little people. That yeah. makes people happy. A little joy in their life. Yeah. <laughs> Last question. So, uh, how is it for you guys to be on the other side of the mic? Always strange. You know, we're really weird about talking about ourselves because we're so good at interviewing people yeah. that it's just you're so used to not talking about yourself. So, it's always right. that interesting, strange dynamic when we're on the other end yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. You're more listening than, or just kind of helping the conversation along as opposed to yeah. being the one. I'm just navigating but, this thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but for us, like, I think I don't mind it when it's talking about just sharing our experience, you know, because. It's kind of how we learn through just, mm-hmm. you know, looking online, we'll have other people done. You know, it doesn't mean that it's always going to work for everybody, but it's it's kind of a, a neat opportunity. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I wish my mom listened to podcasts because we'd send it to her. But <laughs> she'd have no idea what we'd be saying. <laughs> oh, just, yeah, she doesn't speak English. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll start doing more stuff in Spanish later. I just want to, I just yeah. isn't, I'm not ready for that yet. Yeah. No, well, thanks for, no thanks for having us on. Thanks, ladies. Appreciate oh, the time. Yeah. All right, bye. Thank you.